It is good to be with you this morning as we begin a brand new series. We just finished up our a series on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7. And this morning we are beginning a four-week series entitled Doctrines of Demons. And our schedule is that we'll be two weeks in Doctrines of Demons, have one week break for our missions conference, and then have the concluding two weeks following missions conference as we look at God's word together in this series. Uh, I had the privilege this past week to attend a missions conference and uh, I went with Pastor Butch and Pastor Nathan Kursak, and I had a chance to go and hear, and I uh, really was challenged at the conference. But when we flew out for the conference and arrived at the airport, uh, we had to pick up a rental car, uh, Pastor Butch and I. And um, if you've ever, he's not here, so I can tell you this, if you've ever uh, driven with Pastor Butch, you'll be the one that's going to drive if you're getting a rental car. And uh, so we rented a rental car. And picked it up, and it was uh, dark when I got the rental car, and we were in the parking garage. And as I got into the car and was checking everything out, and I know it's surprising to some, I got to adjust the mirrors, and most of the time, they must have giants in the seats, because the rearview mirror is always so high, and I got to bring that sucker down. But uh, after I adjusted everything and got in the vehicle and started making my way out of the garage, as I was driving, I was having a very difficult time reading what was on the, uh, the road in the parking garage, uh, knowing which lane to go in. There was lanes that said to exit, other ones for rental car return, and I couldn't really make out the writing that was there. And as Butch was talking to me, and I'm talking to him, I, I made the comment to him, I said, man, I said, you'd think they'd have this parking garage lit a little bit better so people could actually read what's on the roads. And I was a little bit like frustrated. I'm thinking like, man, what's it take to just paint it a little bit brighter, right? As I'm driving there and then it dawned on me, I didn't have my lights on. <laughs> and so as I'm there complaining about the fact that I can't read what's on the road and distinguish what lane I'm supposed to be in and what's written on the road, uh, as I'm complaining about someone who didn't do their job, this whole time, I, I just didn't have my lights on. So as we kept driving, I just really like, you know, secretly flipped them on. I kept talking. And then I eventually told Butch, I'm like, Butch, I got to be honest with you. I said, back there when I was complaining, I realized what the problem was. I said, I didn't have my lights on in my vehicle. And he just lost it. He was laughing. He thought that was the greatest thing in the world. So if he tries to embellish that story, that's what happened. Okay. <laughs> and, and so I was real excited about being able to see. Now, here's why I share that with you this morning. Because here we are, church, believers in Jesus Christ, gathered on Sunday morning to worship his great name. And at the conclusion of our service, you're most likely, I'm not going to say 100%, but I'm pretty convinced you're going to hear the words, good morning in Maranatha when you leave from here and you're going to exit those doors, walk out into the world representing Jesus Christ, hopefully this week faithfully. And as we walk through this world in this life that we find ourselves living, I wonder what is lighting your path. The word of God tells us that the word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. The word of God is Light, it exposes the darkness. The word of God helps us to see clearly truth. And as we enter into a series called Doctrines of Demons, I am convinced 
that for many of us in this room, and maybe even most of us in this room, the thought of the demonic, thoughts of the devil, and of the true spiritual wickedness and evil that is in the world is a subject matter that many of us would rather just keep the lights off in our vehicles as we walk through this life. And here's my desire in this series. The desire I have in this series, Doctrines of Demons, is that you and I would open God's word together and turn those lights on about the reality of the evil that is in the world, the reality of the working of Satan and demons in this world, and the reality of what in the world is actually going on in the world that we live in today. And I trust as we open God's word, and as we look at God's word, our eyes will be open to what the reality is. I want to begin this series in 1 Timothy chapter 4. You can turn there. 1 Timothy chapter 4. And I want us to read verses 1 through 16. The entirety of this chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 4, as we begin this series this morning. Paul the Apostle is writing to Timothy. A dear son in the faith. A young pastor. And I want you to see what Paul instructs Timothy here and what he warns Timothy about here in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. If you're following along in the Pew Bible, it's page 992. You can also follow along in your copy of God's Word. I'll read this aloud to us. You can follow along at your seats. Paul writing says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Paul's writing to his son in the faith, Timothy, a young pastor, and he's 
giving a warning to Timothy, and he's giving an admonition to Timothy. He's giving a challenge to Timothy. And to summarize what Paul is saying in chapter 4, verses 1 through 16, this great chapter in 1 Timothy, Paul's warning and telling Timothy to be aware that there will be some that will be following after what he calls deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Paul's going to go on in this text, in this context of chapter 4, to let Timothy know that he has to be guarded against that. He has to be resolved to the teaching of sound doctrine, to not only be following sound doctrine, but to be proclaiming sound doctrine. He's going to encourage Timothy to be an example to the believer in his speech and in his conduct, in his very way of life, which is something all of us are called to as followers of Christ. But Paul's going to address something in Timothy's day, and the same difficulty and challenge is present in our day, and he begins this again in verse 1 by telling Timothy, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. And I think there's something that we must understand, and that is very important for us to understand today. And I think it's, and sadly, even some church leaders is not just contrary to the gospel, it's demonic. And we shouldn't be surprised because Paul tells Timothy that in the later times, in the last times or the last days, and, and that statement, last days, is a familiar statement that's used throughout the New Testament. It's used in Acts chapter 2 by Peter, where Peter speaks about these last days from the time of Christ coming to when Christ will return. That in these last days, God has revealed himself through his son, Jesus Christ, he says. In Hebrews chapter 1, the writer of Hebrews references these last days that they were living in. First Peter 1, the same thing. But Paul reminds Timothy that in these last days, there will be those that will be devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. And can I just wake us up as a church today? That is the same that is going on in the world in which we live today as well. And I think sometimes, if we're honest, isn't it just more comfortable to turn our lights off than to really want to expose and know the truth? Now, over these four weeks, we're going to talk about some things that are pretty pointed and pretty difficult to talk about. I'll let you know what the schedule is going to look like at the end of the sermon. But we're going to tackle some things that in our culture today are being widely accepted, that are being broadly taught. And I want us to see from God's word that so much of what is being taught, embraced, and accepted, not only by the world, but by Christians, is not just fleshly or of the world, but demonic. And my hope and what I'm asking you is to not allow yourself to be distracted from what God's word says. I'm asking you as you hear the content that is preached to measure what is taught and preached against the backdrop of God's word and not our emotions, not our relationships or our experiences, but against God's word. Because God's word is truth. And this can be a very difficult series. But what I want us to see in the midst of this series is the hope 
and the joy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus has promised to build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gospel of Jesus Christ remains the power of God unto salvation for everyone who would believe it. So let me give us some scriptural observations this morning. Number one, doctrines of demons is a real thing and real people are embracing it. Look at what the passage said again in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. The Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Don't miss the devoting themselves. There's a commitment that is here. There is a presentation of self to these deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, Paul says. Let's not miss that. Let's not miss what he's saying here. If you turn over to Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 1, not one of the most encouraging section of verses to share with those that are lost, but yet absolutely necessary, and absolutely necessary for you and I to remember and understand as believers. Paul the Apostle is writing in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 25, and he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine attributes, uh, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Look at verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Listen, tell me this does not sound like the culture we live in today. Let me read it again. Although they knew God, verse 21, they did not honor him as God. Or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Look at and worshipped and served the creature rather than then the creator who was blessed forever. Amen. Paul reminds the believer that doctrines of demons, commitment to and devotement to the way of the enemy and the teaching of the enemy is not just fables but truth. Doctrines of demons is a real thing, and real people are embracing it. Verse 25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever. Amen. And listen, church, this is so important for you and I to understand. It is not loving, kind, gracious, or good for the church to remain silent about doctrines of demons. It's not gracious, kind, holy, loving, accepting to allow those that are lost in sin and embracing these doctrines to just go on their way as though everything's okay because it's not okay. And we have to be aware of this. We have to turn our lights on to be aware 
that our neighbor that does not know Christ is not just neutral in their walk throughout this life, but they are an enemy of God, as were you and I. We have to be honest about the reality that those that have rejected Jesus, they're just not good people in need of Christ. They're people who are held captive by the devil to do his will, God's word says. That those that have rejected Jesus, that when you hear teaching and you hear politically and in the media and in our culture, that Christ's name is being uh, just completely blasphemed and ridiculed and the cause of Christ is being just trampled under people's feet. That is not just the work of sinful men, but it's the work of the enemy, the devil and his demons. And it's time we wake up to this. It's time we wake up to the reality, and we don't like to think about it, but it's true that there are those that are devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. And here's the sad thing. Some of them are more devoted to that than we are to Christ. People have their marching orders, and they are faithfully delivering it day in and day out. It's in our face every single day. You can't turn on the television without hearing something being taught or being espoused to us in our culture that is not just of the world. It's demonic. And they're faithful at it while the church remains silent, complacent, and with our lights turned off. This should not be the case. They're devoting themselves to the teachings of demons. Second Timothy chapter 2. This is not on the screen. This is Second Timothy 2 that the Lord's brought to my mind here. It says, verse 22, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish Ignorant controversies, you know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. They may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Church, understand something that you and I as followers of Jesus Christ have a calling on our lives as believers to speak the truth, to stand firmly on the truth of God's word. And yes, don't miss what he said to Timothy in 2 Timothy, with love that we put on the full armor of God because we do not wrestle against just flesh and blood, but against spiritual, spiritual wickedness principalities and spiritual wickedness and evil that is in the world. Doctrines of demons is a real thing and real people are embracing it. Number two, the presence, working, and strategy of the devil still remains. He says, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. This is the thing, you know, Ecclesiastes talks about there's nothing new under the sun. The devil has his strategy. He has his strategy. Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. Turn back to Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 5, you have the account of the fall of man. This is the original, the original sin that would enter the world to man in Genesis chapter 3. And I want you to notice something about the strategy of the devil that is very much at work today. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. 
He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the The devil's strategy from the very beginning is to bring into question the truth of God. To bring into question the very word of God. The commands of God. The teachings of God. And then to refute that. To call God a liar. He doesn't say here, well, God's a liar. But what does he say? God said you'll die. You won't die. God is a liar. And what God says is not truth. You'll be okay. You'll be okay. What a prominent teaching in the world in which we find ourselves living today. Everybody's okay. Everybody will be okay. Everybody's not okay. And they will not be okay. God's word is truth. God does not lie. But the enemy does. His tactics are the same. His working is prevalent in the world in which we live today. And his desire would be the same for the believer as it was for Peter. To completely sift you as wheat, Jesus told Peter. The devil is at work. His demons are at work. Working hard to bring into question the truth of God. To bring into question the faithfulness of God. Not only in the world, but even at times trying to sway, if possible, even those that believe. I believe one way that the devil is having effectiveness in that is getting believers to keep their eyes closed and their lights turned off to the reality of the world that we live in. To the reality of the hopeless, helpless, condemned state of man without Christ. Because if we don't have to think about that, if I don't have to put it in my head that my cousin that does not know Christ as Savior is just not a believer. And I don't have to put it in my head that it's not only that he's not a believer, but that he is under the wrath of Almighty God. It's just so much easier. That if I can just have it in my head that the conversation I have with my coworker, my family member, my close friend that has rejected Christ, if the conversation I have with that individual can just be, you know where I stand and what Jesus says, but if that's not for you, it's okay. It's not okay. It's not okay. Because the end result of sin, the word of God says, is death. The wrath of God. And we know that. I think one of the most effective ways that the devil can keep darkness so dark and can bring into question so quickly what God has said and what God has promised is when the believer in Christ can just keep quiet, complacent, with no sense of action, urgency, or priority for the gospel. Number three, the end of those who embrace doctrines of demons is destruction and eternal judgment. At the end of chapter 4, verse 16, Paul writes to Timothy and says, Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. 
Paul was concerned about those that would stray away. He was concerned that Timothy would continue to teach sound doctrine. Do we recognize truly that the end result of those that have rejected Christ as Savior is the same end result that would be true for you and I apart from Christ? It would be condemnation and the enduring of the wrath of Almighty God. Do we recognize that? I wonder when you were a kid, did you ever do anything that your parents didn't know about? Did your parents ever tell you not to do something and you did it anyhow, but you didn't get caught? I remember as a kid, there were things that my parents would tell me not to do, and when they weren't there, I wasn't in their presence. If I could get away with it, I felt pretty good. But on those rare occasions that I thought I could get away with something and I didn't realize they were watching and they found out what happened was punishment and I deserved it because of my disobedience. But can you imagine, and if you're a kid today, can you imagine if everywhere you went, your parents had a camera that was on you? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine if everywhere you went throughout your day, from the moment you woke up, to the time you went to bed at night, there was a camera that was watching and recording your every move, action, and word the entirety of the day. How many of us would act a little bit differently if we know that a camera was constantly watching us? We probably would. I, I was leaving church, it's confession time because confession is good for the soul. I was leaving church last Sunday because I had to run and grab something before we were leaving for this conference, and as I was leaving the church, pastor leaving the church, I was driving, and as I was driving, there was a truck, and if this was you, um, shame on you for what you did to me, because I was driving, and as I was driving up the hill on Killian Road, this truck was just right on my back, beeping, 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 okay, if it was you, talk to me afterwards, okay, but, but a lot of pent-up anger. But I, I was driving, and I just left the church. And I'm driving up the hill, and this guy in this truck slamming on the horn, beeping at me. And I had a car in front of me, so I couldn't go anywhere. So initially, when I heard it, I kind of thought, he can't be beeping at me, as I'm thinking in my mind, because I can't go anywhere. And I look in the rearview mirror, and he's, like, yelling. I'm thinking, well, the guy in front of me can't see him yelling, so he's obviously wanting me to, to see it. And with his yelling, he had both hands up in the air as well. in the rear. And it wasn't just like, hey, buddy, it was other stuff. And, I'm, uh, and so I'm driving, so this is what I did. I did what any good Christian person does as I'm driving is I tried as long as possible to be looking at the road while staring at him in the rearview mirror like I see you and nothing's happening like I was just doing and then I slowed up okay I slowed up I slowed up so that he had to slow up and then he was just yelling he had his hand out the window and everything else and I was just shaking my head going okay like that because I'm thinking like I can't go anywhere because this thing was in front of me. And as he's doing that and as I'm going, it started dawning me in my mind. I'm thinking like I wonder if that's someone from the church is what I started thinking. Because <laughs> I just left church, right? Now, I can be honest with you and tell you that I didn't swear. I didn't cuss. I didn't respond in like fashion with any kind of saluting to him. I didn't do any of that. I just kept going, and then after I realized maybe this is, I hope it's not someone from the church, I kind of just looked forward and thought, all right, Lord, please forgive me for trying to, like, magnify the situation even worse, and just kept going. He eventually turned off and went the other way. 
But as I was driving, the farthest thing from my thinking was that this was someone behind me who most likely does not know Christ and needs to know Jesus. It was the farthest thing from my thinking. Didn't even cross my mind. What crossed my mind was that this guy's angry at me because he thinks I'm going too slow. And if he thinks I need to go faster, well, I'm going to show him a thing or two. It didn't even cross my mind to think, Lord, I pray for Joe behind me who is just beside himself that I am that I'm going too slow. I pray for his salvation. I pray that he would truly know Jesus. Now, I'm not saying if you get angry when you drive, it means you're not saved. That's not what I'm saying. But my point is that the farthest thing from my thinking was the spiritual condition of the individual I was having an encounter with. And you know why? Because I was so focused on what I was doing and about me that I was completely oblivious to what God might be wanting to do in this person's life. I think one of the greatest ways that the devil can keep darkness so prevalent is when he allows the believer to be distracted. When he pulls the believer to distraction from what the truth truly is. That those that are lost are condemned. That those without Christ will be facing eternal judgment. That the eternal state of the lost is of far greater value than anything we think we want in this life, including their acceptance. And the devil has been doing this from the beginning. It's important for you and I to understand that the end of those who embrace doctrines of demons is destruction and eternal judgment. That's the destiny of the lost. That was your destiny, that was my destiny, apart from Christ. It's real. Eternal hell is real. The wrath of God is real. The judgment of God is real. The truth of God's word is real. Not just the parts that we like. Not just the parts that feel good. All of it. And we have to recognize this. Back again in Romans chapter 1. Continuing on verses 24 to 32. And we'll be looking at this text a bit later on in the series as well. Paul says, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. To the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Listen to these verses. What Paul says here. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women. And were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, Haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, 
foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them but give approval to those who practice them. This is the truth of God's word. We're going to hit these verses more in this series. Church, if your eyes are open, if my eyes are open, we cannot ignore this. We cannot ignore this. This is the world we find ourselves living in today. All of these things being embraced, celebrated, taught, indoctrinated in our culture today are no surprise to God because God said it would happen. How do we respond? By closing our eyes, shutting off our lights, or by walking through this world with eyes wide open and lights on as we glorify Jesus Christ even in the face of these doctrines of demons. Are you ready for that? Are you ready for that? Let me give us some points of action. Points of action. Number one, wake up to the reality of the society and world we live in and the demonic influence that is in the world. We need to wake up. Our struggle and battle is not against flesh and blood. That which is being taught, proclaimed, And embraced in the world we live in is not just that which is of the world. It is, but it's even beyond that. It's doctrines of demons. It's the working of Satan on full display for everyone to see. And men have loved and worshipped the creature rather than the creator God. It's on full display. And we need to wake up to the reality of the society and world we live in and the demonic influence that is in the world. Number two, we have to accept the reality that opposition and rejection to Christ and the gospel is not simply worldly, but it is demonic. Let this one settle in. Process this with me for a moment. That opposition and rejection of Christ And the gospel is not simply something the world does. It's not just worldly. It is, but it's not just that. It's demonic. The devil's desire and strategy from the very get-go was to bring into question the truth that God has spoken. His, His desire, even when Christ was walking the face of the earth, was to bring into question in the minds and hearts of those that would see him that who he was and what he did was of God. So much so that what did the Pharisees attribute the works of Jesus to? The works of Satan, of Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. And we have to understand this reality. That when Christ is rejected and the gospel is rejected, that when the world we live in tries to destroy the word of God and the truth of God's word, when the world we live in wants to mock 
and trample on the name of Jesus. It's just not, oh, that's how the world's going to act. That is demonic. That's the work of the enemy. And those that do not know Christ, as we've already looked at, they are held captive by him to do his will, the word of God says. And we have to accept that reality. Because when we accept that reality, it should stir us. It should stir us. When we accept that reality, point of action number three, we must soberly process the end of those who reject Christ and embrace doctrines of demons. Soberly process what the end of those who reject Christ will be. We don't like to think about it, but we have to. Let that stir our hearts and our minds that the ones that do not know Jesus, the ones we love and care for and see day in and day out, that the person we rub shoulders with at the grocery store, at our school that we go to, at our work that we go to, in our homes that don't know Christ, in our families that don't know Christ, that as we rub shoulders and speak and talk with them, understand that the end is destruction, the wrath of God if they do not know Jesus. If we can put that in perspective, how important really is it that we are just liked by people when we know their eternal destiny? How important really is it? Is it of greater value to be liked than to share the only message that could possibly save from the wrath of God? What a lie we've bought into. What a lie that we've bought into as the church that God is of greater concern for our good than his glory. What a lie that we've bought into so often that God's desire is that everybody would just like us. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, you will be hated for my namesake. Why would we be hated as proclaimers of the gospel? Because those that we're proclaiming to are not just neutral people. They're held captive by the devil to do his will. And the word of God describes those that do not know Christ as haters of God. Number four, in the midst of all of this great encouraging news, remember the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friends, this word, the word of God is eternal. It is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, the word of God says. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that Paul referenced in 1 Corinthians 15, that Jesus Christ, the perfect, sinless Lamb of God, died for our sins according to the Scriptures, was buried and rose again in victory according to the Scriptures, that the same God who resurrected Christ from the dead can give life and resurrect the heart of the one that is lost, as he has done in your life and my life if we know Christ. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Remember it, use it, proclaim it, preach it, live it. Because it's by it that people are saved. There is a world that is lost, condemned, deserving of, and will endure the wrath of Almighty God. All of us would be in that position, but God, who is rich in mercy, demonstrated his love in sending his only son so that we might have life through him. 
Do you sense, I hope, the urgency of the gospel of Jesus Christ? The necessity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This first week was just a week of introduction. A week of introduction, setting the table for doctrines of demons. These next three weeks will not be easy weeks. To preach on, to receive, and yet they will be from God's word. Next week, week two, we'll be talking about false gospels, universalism, and moral relativism. Week three, following the missions conference, we'll be talking about sexuality and sexual identity. And what's going on in our culture, in the world in which we live in today. Week four, the value of human life, abortion, racism, critical race theory. What's going on there? Does God's word speak about these things? My hope is that as we are in this series, Christ will be glorified. That you and I as believers in Christ will be awakened with the lights on. Seeing clearly what's going on in the world in which we live. So that we would be more adequately prepared to address with the gospel of Jesus Christ what we see happening. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the guidance it gives. I pray that you would allow us as children of God to, with love, compassion, and grace, be unapologetically firm in standing on the truth of God's word that we would be quick to speak the gospel of Christ because the gospel alone can save and transform. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.